and welcome to another of Political Yeti's Politics Podcast. I'm James Miller, journalist, broadcaster and author. The Gender Agenda is out now, still in all good bookshops. And tonight I'm in the Dartmouth Arms in Forest Hill. And my microphone is working. Last time I was here, I managed to not plug the microphone in, but hopefully this time it's going to sound a lot better. And just like last time, I am joined by John Walker, political editor of the Birmingham Mail. Hello, John. Hi. Are you feeling better? You were supposed to be on last week. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> Sorry about that. I felt Did a bit you have the norovirus that's going around the athletics. Was that what it was? If it uh, was, I probably don't want to know about it. I was very poorly indeed. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Hangover. Um, I'm also joined by a friend of the podcast and senior political analysts, i.e. super wonk, it's uh, Mike Indian. Hello. He has done a blog, he's done a blog, and we will talk about that a bit later on. Um, I'm not joined by any women, apologise for that, I have tried very hard in the last couple of days to get a female guest on and avoid an all-male panel. I have failed for various reasons, out with my control. Um, I was getting on the bus here when I thought I had a female guest and she pulled out. So we could talk about how hard it is to find women in politics and journalism, but I don't think it looks good for three men to be sitting in the pub with their real ale talking about uh, why there's not enough women, even if one of them is the author of a book called The Gender Agenda. Um, instead... Joint, joint author. Joint author, that is true. Co-author, yes, all right. Uh, well, it's still author, it's still true. Um, let us uh, round up the last week. This really shouldn't have taken us very long because there has been very little happening. Everyone's gone on holiday. Uh, I think we've reached peak silly season, right? What have been the big political events of the last week, John? Well, um, yeah, should, we, should we talk about Brexit? Yeah, well, Brexit's going to fill the gaps these days, isn't it? Any gap that pops up, Brexit will fill it. There's a lot of talk about the UK um, having to pay to leave the European Union. Um, the EU would say that we're not really paying to leave, we're just paying off our debts and yeah. obligations that we've agreed to. And I think the figure that's been touted is 36 billion pounds. Now, there's always been discussion that we'd have to pay, but what's changed is that apparently the government and our uh, Brexit-supporting ministers like Sir David Davis have accepted that this may have to happen, which has upset some people. The the strange thing about this bill is uh, it was in the Sunday Telegraph at the weekend. I did the the paper review at the weekend, and we all went, oh, it's a well-sourced story. Um, And then on Monday, I believe, the Prime Minister's spokesman said, yeah, it's rubbish, we don't recognise that figure (laughs) at all. I suddenly realised why the fourth part said it's been guaranteed by, or, you know, backed up by three different sources, because clearly they were desperately trying to shore up a story that perhaps didn't quite have the... uh, uh, foundations that they were claiming for it. Is that, would that possibly be what's going on here? Or well, they just, is it just the government flying kites? There may be, there may be some truth in there, but at this point, nobody knows what's going to happen. I mean, Brexit is a big event, but the truth is that for the next two years, it's all going to take place largely behind closed doors. People are going to be trying to find out what's going on, looking for leaks, getting people to talk to them. But we're not really going, really going to know what's happening for a good two years, so I'm afraid we're going to have a quite a lot of this but when it's all said that we are going to have to pay something yeah and there'll be a row about the amounts oh no we don't have to pay it we, we could walk out without paying anything and obviously we'd get no deal and everyone would be horrible to us mm. because anybody who walks away without paying their bill obviously is shunned by society whether that is in a restaurant or in international relations right but we could do it that yeah well i suppose in theory we could but in practice, it's not even about getting a trade deal. You can't have 
it's completely soured, completely destroy your relationships with France. Yeah. Do you, I mean, France is a huge uh, military ally of the UK, apart True. from anything else. Uh, analyze this, senior political analyst. That figure of 36 billion, does it ring true to you? Yeah, it falls within the range. I think that's sort of 30 to 40 billions. We keep hearing these numbers bandied about, and it could be up to 100 billion. The Brexiters want it to be less than 10 billion. 30 to 40 billion is probably going to be the compromise ground here, and it's one of those three big areas which they're focusing on in that European Commission conference room at the moment. Yeah, so it sounds about right to me. The EU figure is 60 million. Mm. So 36 sounds like an opening gambit. We'll end up with a result of. 43 or something like that. Is that so possibly where we're heading with all this? Uh, it could Plus be. the exchange rate, of course. <laughs> I mean, well, they're saying 36 million quid, 40 million euros is 36 million Not quid. Hit, hit. Well, I've just been to Europe, 40 million euros is 40 million quid, frankly, yes. as far as I can see. And, you know, that will feed into how you sell it to the Brexiteers and the non-Brexiteers, I guess. They want to get this done and dusted before the Tory party conference, really, while there's still people with warm, uh, warm Prosecco and garden parties to plot in as well. But the, the figure is, it's, it's one of these things they should just get out of the way because they need to get onto the substantive trade deal. The EU's not going to move on that yeah. until we get the exit bill done and dusted, really. So it's in both sides' interest to get it sorted quickly. Are you expecting more Brexit stories in the next few weeks? Because, like I say, we have reached the nadir of the summer and people will start going back from holiday and I mean this this story is sort of it's a bit of a an opener but I suspect well, the, the, there'll be lots of Brexit plotting and uh, you know people saying stuff to try and bully the government or the EU into taking certain positions are we going to get is this just the start of a a month of this stuff. I imagine there'll be a fair few to try and fill the gaps in silly season as well as John says Brexit fills the kind of the void at the moment but We've got to remember as well from the European Commission side, I think there was a case earlier in the year when the government crossed the Commission and it proved that for an organisation as big as it is, it leaks yeah. very carefully, but <laughs> a lot when it wants to as well. You can feed as much information out as well. And I think that photograph of David Davis without those papers in front of him, it's that perfect metaphor as well for just yeah. how ill-prepared we are for going into this process. It's really quite worrying. I guess that's where this story comes from. It's going, oh, look, we do know what we're doing. It's going to be position papers. Political, says, says, political the website says it's going to be position papers. But, I mean, what does that mean? We could have a position paper that I'm going to win the lottery the weekend. Doesn't mean it's going to happen, does it? The only substantive one we've produced is on the issue of EU migrants and the European Commission's having none of that yeah. at the moment. The, the right to remain is nowhere nearly as strong as Michel Barnier wants it to be as well. And, of course, the jurisdiction of the ECJ which Brexiteers reject outright as the arbiter of EU citizens' rights, has not even been settled upon yet yes. by either side. Uh, oh, which is absolutely bonkers. I mean, there's no reason on earth why a foreign court should have any jurisdiction over this country. Of course, um, EU citizens living in this country who are given indefinite leave to remain in this country should have their rights respected, but they should be uh, protected by a UK court, same as anybody else. I just think the European Union is making some demands which are just ridiculous, and which, I'm, I'm speaking as a Remainer here, which, and I was still, if we could have another referendum tomorrow, I'd welcome that, and I'd vote to remain, but if we're going to leave, then we are going to leave. It's no use the EU sort of saying, well, we still want to have jurisdiction over what happens in the UK. That can't happen. Right. Uh, you are very much parroting the line uh, that was uh, put out this morning by Owen Patterson. Owen O'Pats Patterson was on the radio this morning saying that. Um, chief, you know, one of the leading Brexiteers, worth pointing out, he went to war with the Badgers and lost. And now he's kind of claiming that he can somehow, you know, win an argument against the EU. I, I, I'm not convinced. If you, if you move to any foreign country, then 
you are protected by their laws and you have certain right. I mean, if you have certain rights in any country, it's a right not to be arrested for no reason, probably in most countries. But your those rights are enforced by the local legal system and the local courts. The the British government, the British courts, don't have any jurisdiction over what happens in. Zimbabwe or Australia or, or Canada. Well, I did go to European country and I saw a badger. That's the thing. Who, who knew they had badgers in Greece? There's no Owen Batson though yeah, <laughs> in really Greece, so there's right? many badgers. Yeah, you know. a bit hot for the old badgers, but there are badgers in Greece. Um, all right, yeah. Well, all right. I, I, I get your argument. Mm. The fact that Owen Batson is making it makes me very suspicious of whether it's actually a good argument at all. I tell um, you, something else that we're going to see is. As we get closer to an agreement actually being agreed, which is the best part of two years away, that's also the time when people expect Theresa May to go, because they yeah, don't think the that she's yeah. going to find the next election. But yeah. there's not much of a mood to try to get rid of her now. Most of the Tories, yeah. especially because they're confident she will leave at some point, yeah. are happy for her to stay and do Brexit. But things are going to get increasingly um, insecure and uh, the infighting at Westminster is really going to pick up True. as Tories start thinking about who's going to be the next leader and who's going to replace her. Yeah. So I think what we're seeing now is just a sort of forerunner. I think things are going to get far worse than they are now. Excellent. Um, that, we might talk about that uh, in a tick where we mentioned Mike's blog. He's done a blog, he's done a blog. Um, what was your big event of the last week though, Mike? What, what, I think for me, is, this is a boring and techy one, but it was the... Um, connected to the blog it was probably the publication of the data protection uh, draft laws on Monday by the government and what? it's just one of these areas in which it kind of shows that the government come on, is fine come on, do some irreverence on. on the data protection bill. here we go <laughs> so this is copying in two important directives from EU law into UK law including the very important right to be forgotten online so yes. if you have embarrassing social media posts and tweets Who doesn't? online then you can request those to be removed but it has other things like greater portability of data the right to access that as well and of course given the fact that the government bangs on constantly about the importance of the internet economy and how much it's worth this country trying to set because that, re that regulation the regulation is the gold standard here yeah. transposing that and going a bit further including the government's uh, uh, commitment to removing social media posts and the right to like at age yeah. 18 as yeah. well so it's trying to improve on an EU law but it's one area where take it back control like, that's what you're well, this, control. this is the thing it, but this, the trouble is that it's another area where the European Union is actually ahead of the curve because obviously we passed the data protection uh, in 1998 it's now 19 years later we're just updating it now and of course this has come apart from this wonderful sort of transnational organisation we're not going to have this when we leave now so you've got to think about if we catch it to where the EU is now are we still going to have the capability to do this 20 years down the line when we have to update the regulations again it's just one of many areas where it highlights the risk that Brexit poses to how this country is going to be shaped in the future if it's just done based on domestic law. You're going to the uh, you're going to the fringe this weekend, aren't you? I am going to the fringe. Are you performing at the fringe? I'm not. No, well, I know you do improv. I, I do. Say, I'm going. going. Know, I would love to do some, <laughs> do some improv on the data protection bill. That I, that, do, I would actually. That's I do the only show improv I would on the twentieth in London though at the Horse and Stables. If people want to come along with my new group, uh, we are not a cult. Right. Excellent. I might come along okay. that show out. Data protection bill. Absolutely. Yeah. I think it's a song about a data protection bill. It's improv. not musical improv, James. Oh, is it? I thought I. <laughs> I've been improv for a long, long time, oh. alright. Uh, I've had but some I, bad experiences. Know, a lot of people have had stand up on the fringe once. I did do stand up on the fringe once, that's true. That is a. I don't know. Uh, do you, wanna, you heard that story, John? Yeah. Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on. Um, talking of performing, let's just briefly touch on the Wilderness Festival, because truly the highlight of the last week has been David Cameron having a fag, holding on to a woman Person. with a big Corbin yeah. sign. 
written across the back of her cape. I think she was wearing a cape or something. Um, there's the fashion police. You can hear them uh, uh, in the background. Um, come on. What was going on there? Well, presumably she just walked up to him and demanded um, a hug and he couldn't really say no. But um, I was more shocked to see him smoking a fag, to be honest. Wow. It's not really Very stressful the done thing nowadays. Do you think the Clegg still smoked? Oh, yes. Yeah, oh, yeah. He's a, he's a, he's he was always going to give up, wasn't he? He was always going to give up. Yeah. He never did. Cameron, see, I used to be a smoker. When I was a smoker, I was thin, I was skinny. And I was, I was assumed that Cameron, like me, was an ex-smoker. Because like me, he is now just a little bit porky. Oh, oh, oh here we go. He's fishing for compliments. I'm not even going to go with it. Um, what, is, what is this wilderness festival? I've never heard I of it. I don't know. It's like a thing, isn't it? It's not, it's not wild at all. It's like, it's like the nicest no, it's festival not. in it's, the box. It's, it's probably the most middle-class festival. It is. My, my partner was up there at the weekend, and she reported that uh, it's very well to do. They had a, they were offering champagne garlands as well, sort of long oh, tables. You know, so lots of stuff that's champagne normally... Garlands. Yeah, lots of long tables, a bottle of champagne shared over an hour. Ooh. You know, it's, it's a far cry from uh, Reading and Leeds. What sort of place that David Cameron would go. I mean, does it have music? Is it a music festival? It has music, it has talk, there's the there, right? yoga classes, yoga ballet. Classes? Oh, wow. So, raves in woods. Was Toots in the Maytown there? Was that right? I hear a story. Toots, like, Toots lost his Maytown or something. <laughs> I, I, I'll t- where, where, where was it? It's some some park in Oxfordshire. It's David Cameron's old oh, constituency, okay. so he yeah. he was along at Bed. Cumberbatch was there too. Wow. It's uh, it's it's uh, it's you know well the hoi polloi were there. Wow. Yeah. Maybe I'll go next year. That sounds like quite good fun. That's festivals go. It sounds alright, but still get to sponsor the podcast. Yeah, well, let's do live podcast next year, maybe. I bet Cameron didn't stay in a tent. You can rent chalets there for several uh, thousand pounds. That's the way to Towels go. and the lights. Quite right. The glamping. Quite right. <laughs> Glamorous you said camping, that, John, like you ever stayed in a tent. I, I used to go to Glastonbury every year. Did you? Yeah, I used to camp out. Wow. I don't um, think I do it now. No. <laughs> I like my bed too much. <laughs> um, <laughs> see, because you've grown up and become sensible. Like you young people, stupid, aren't they? Too politicised. They're voting. Political. Uh, voting <laughs> Corbyn and all this nonsense. Talking and editing, talking and editing. Let us talk about Mike's blog. He's done a blog on his Groucho tendency. Yes. Right. Um, shall I try and summarise your, your blog yep, and you can tell on. me if I'm wrong? Yep, go on. Well, it's about pairing. And pairing this is something yeah. that happens in Parliament, that uh, a Tory MP pairs up with a Labour MP, and then if a Tory MP has to go to his mum's for tea on a Thursday night, he says to the Labour MP, oh, I can't be in Parliament, can you knock off as well? And then the majority stays the same because you, you, you match up. Apparently, Jeremy Corbyn's team have failed to reach a pairing deal with the Tories this time round. Mm. So there will be no pairing. And that means that MPs will be tied down in Parliament for lots and lots of votes because obviously yeah. the government has no majority. And this is surely a good thing because Jeremy Corbyn's job is to try and unseat the government and by not having a pairing deal, he is doing his job. No, he's not. I mean... Pairing doesn't apply to the kind of votes that would unseat the government in the first place. All it does is it keeps MPs in Westminster, but people constantly say they don't want their MPs to be. They complain. Oh, yeah, but people are idiots. People say that, and then they post pictures on the but, website of, but, of empty benches. Go, oh, where are all the MPs? Well, they complain that our politics is too Westminster-centric. Now, thanks to this, not even, even our Brexit ministers are going to be stuck in Westminster most of the time. David Davis is always having to shuttle back from Brussels for votes as as is. Oh, poor David Davis. 
He's done a Brexit. Now he's going to spend lots of time on a train. <laughs> well, if we're going to be, as, if as John says we're going to be leaving, surely we want our chief negotiator to be over there as much as possible, not to be stuck in the Commons for votes on Opposition Day debates about the NHS. No, I don't think we want anywhere near it. We want all the civil servants to actually know what they're doing. Brussels, he doesn't want to be there anyway. He wants to be running around the TV studios, trying and the tea rooms, trying to become the next leader, next prime minister. I think the point I was making was I to get this to data protection as well is that the government's taking trying to take in a lot of views in a short space of time. And you need MPs to be out there and actually engaging with people, going on visits for select committees, actually being able to talk to people. Because if not, well-paid lobbyists from businesses, banks, the internet companies can get to Westminster easily. They're all based in London. But I think what if your constituents in Scotland? This is a very, I think that's a very good point. It's the point I'm not sure what the answer is, to be honest. I think it will be great fun that there'll be lots of really tight votes. It also means, of course, MPs can't ponce off abroad on fancy down trips, which is quite entertaining. That's, they're going to get really upset about that because <laughs> they're going to be really tied down you're going to get claustrophobic for some of the MPs I suspect you know? yeah, they, are, they are going to have to stay within sprinting distance of the voting well, I know Tony, I know Tony Green has talked about this on Twitter and who? Uh, who? <laughs> there you go don't know who that is <laughs> uh. and it's, it is it is worrying because you think about sort of, it's not it's not so much the late nights but they will all be stuck hanging around the parliamentary estate and there's more work they can do so between that and the constituency work it's not going to be much time for the committees to do a good job they haven't even set up the select committees yet they're no, waiting no. For the, so it's another strand of which Parliament, I think, has come a long way in seven years in terms of opening itself up, and I think this is another way of rolling it back in. Now, Perry can seem stupid and arcane, and it is. It does this a lot about Westminster politics. But it was at least a way of getting MPs away from votes when they didn't need to be there. And we're going to go back to that situation, probably best in that James Graham play of this house, where they're stuck there for really very little reason. We are, you're quite right. It is a change. We have seen in recent years the select committees at least more often getting out of Westminster going to places like Birmingham and Newcastle a long way up north and um, holding their meetings there and speaking to people there sometimes to sort of local council leaders yeah. and their teachers sometimes they've had open meetings where members of the public could um, just come along and, and speak and take part and uh, that's been a new development actually which has been sort of quite interesting and quite welcome and I, I guess I hadn't thought about this before you raised a point but I guess you're right I guess that's something that's going to end as long as this um, pairing arrangement is, is not in place I mean it might be a short thing but I remember in the last parliament brief as it was Pete Wishart took the Scottish Affairs Committee to sit in Scotland which is surely where it should be talking to people because mm. you know it's the main scrutiny body for Scottish Affairs in Westminster and the base committee they did this as well I think the committees do their best work when they're out and about and actually talking to people uh, fair enough but here's the counter argument to that I suppose um, you mentioned obviously there's a comparison with the 70s obviously it was the last time we had these minority governments and uh, very tight votes and all that sort of stuff you had people literally um, carried through the lobbies in the mm, 70s yeah, yeah well I remember in the 90s I remember uh, the Maastricht vote I remember watching it on telly and there was like a robot came in there was a man with like a big cage over his head because he was like clearly very unwell but um, they had to get him into vote um, but that sort of stuff uh, A it makes it more dramatic and that gets people interested. That get, you know, it raises the profile of what's going on in Parliament. Surely, that's a good thing. It's it's drama, but it's not the soap opera. It's actual votes, and you know, we'll be writing about it. And I guess there'll be a lot of social media around it as well because it will be, you know, knife edge votes, and that will get people interested. I, I more than a visit from what's his name, Adrian Mann, that used to be on the <laughs> on the Bayes Committee going to Newcastle. You know. I, I, I suspect it'll I, be better for Parliament. I, I don't think it will be in the long run, unfortunately. I love 
Parliament. I love the work it does, but I, I honestly believe that this is a regressive measure. And my real issue is with here is that you have it at the moment. The opposition have a far more experienced whips office. Nick Brown's back in there as chief whip. He's a man who understands how the post works better than any of his conservative contemporaries. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Bruiser. Yeah. Yeah. Moving Anne Milton was the biggest mistake Theresa May made. No, I wouldn't say so because she's no women's minister. She seems quite good with a women's minister. But she was a chief whip of some four years' experience, a proven cross-party consensus worker, I think, there. The, the whip's office for the Tories has been hollowed out of any experienced operators, I think, now. And, and in a hung parliament, you need a whip's office with all the good experience. Corbyn had this problem early on, but he's rectified it by bringing Nick Brown back in to run that. Mark Tamiston in Labour's whip's office as well. These are people who the public know, but they're going to make sure that Labour's best place to do the parliamentary trench warfare that's coming in the parliament the conservatives aren't ready for this and the kind of votes that are going to happen aren't going to bring the government down they're just going to annoy it right hang on they but will that just also annoy labor mps yeah labor well, mps will have to they'll, not, they'll get upset with being not stuck. if they think that it is being done with a view to getting into government if they think it will lead it won't to get them into well, government. I, yeah i i agree I, I that's true but if the mps think that this is a route to government and you know, as I said, it's the way to try and wear down this government and force an election, which I suspect Labour would not win, but that's that's the way they're going to get into government. Then what's wrong with that? And I mean, surely you're undermining your own argument there, because you're saying that Nick Brown and such like... I mean, they're the guys who've decided not to have a pairing agreement, right? I think they should know, You're I think saying they should they're better, good. You're you know. saying that they're good, and yet you're saying that the thing they've done is bad yeah I think that good people still make stupid choices and that, you know, this this is a stupid choice there's no two ways about it do you hear that Nick Brown Mike Indian just called you stupid <laughs> bruiser Nick Brown Mike Indian uh, super wonk just called you stupid just so you know I'm sure you're listening talking and editing talking and editing right let's end with I love your questions even though it's the summer we're having a big super rollover I love your questions and the jingle sounds like this. I love your questions. I love your questions. I love your questions. Because uh, Martin Whitfield MP set an I love your questions question at the end of Parliament of the Parliament. And it's a good one because I can basically ask it each week and we can tot up what everybody answers and we'll find out at the end of the summer who's right. And his question was how many times in the entire works of Shakespeare does the word birthday appear? John, make your guess. Seven. Good one. Mike? Twice. Twice. I think we had, I think we had, a, no, we had a zero and a one last week, so we've got zero, one, two and seven. Uh, okay, well, we will find out in September when we're back in Parliament uh, what the answer is to that. Um, in the meantime, I will say uh, thank you to John and thank you to Mike. Uh, are you joining us again next week, John? I am, come yeah. To Catford. Looking forward to go it. Go to the Catford Bridge Tavern next week. If you've got nothing better to do, do come along and share your thoughts. In the meantime, if you want to get in touch, I am at Political Yeti on Twitter. I am politicalyeti at gmail.com on the email. My website is james-miller.com and my book is The Gender Agenda. Uh, tune in next week for another of Political Yeti's Politics Podcasts. Thank you.